21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. So, Martin, thank you for having us today. I'm here with my friend and advisor, uh, mentor, Stephen Gans. And together we'll uh, get into our latest work on decisions in. Uh, but before I do that, I want to give you a little bit of a background in terms of from where this has come so you can get a sense of kind of what it is and where we might be taking this. So first of all, Decisions In is about a state of being, a mindset, a mood around making really great life decisions. It's the product of my work of, uh, with thousands of executives in their decision-making. Uh, people that have, uh, uh, people who are paid a tremendous amount of money to make good, sound decisions. Uh, now, it's also, uh, uh, this is also around decision-making and their consequences. There's also a subject of research uh, spanning things like linguistics, philosophy, behavioral economics, cognitive science, and storytelling. Uh, so it's inherently, uh, my approach on this is inherently interdisciplinary. Uh, and uh, however, it's interdisciplinary and very practical. So it's not uh, abstract in theory. Uh, this is about the day-to-day the -day of making high-consequence decisions. Now, the third, uh, the third element is, uh, of this is that it's also the working title of a book uh, that we are writing. It's either a book or, or it's a chapter within a larger book. And so decisions in, as I said, as I said, is a state of mind. Uh, it's a mood. Uh, it's also uh, a mindset by which to make advantaged decisions, especially advantaged decisions about consequential situations. The word decision comes from cut. So when you make a decision, you make a cut. And that means often it's irreversible. And of course, Zen is very much a kind of cutting edge way of being mindful. So if you're in a state of Zen, you often are able to make a cut that most people aren't able to make and cut through a lot of BS, if I may say so. I would build on that uh, uh, to add that, first of all, uh, uh, Zen is a, uh, it, it's, it's a form of Buddhism, uh, popular in Japan, uh, ancient China and the Southeast. Uh, it's really about mastering uh, the moment. Uh, it's about being wholly in the moment not as a function of happenstance, but as a function of a ruthless will, uh, a ruthless impeccability to be in the moment and present to what's in the moment. Not what's going to be, not what's, what has been, but a ruthless, impeccable focus on the moment. Uh, and uh, and uh, one of the incisive 
uh, dimensions um, of, of Zen uh, is that it, it utterly destroys or takes apart stories and narratives and justifications and rationales. It, it, and the old adage is, you know, chop wood, carry water. Uh, it's, so when you're chopping wood, that's all there is. There's the axe, the wood, and the action. Uh, another aspect of, the, of Zen uh, is what they call not doing uh, or pure action. Uh, wu, uh, I think in Chinese is Wu Wei. Uh, but it's the, it is the experience of being still. Even in action, uh, there is a core of stillness. And not just stillness, but changelessness. And so that when you act with a Zen, when you act with Zen, uh, when you take action in this Zen way of being, it's pure action. It's action that arises from the moment. Uh, it's not guided by the future. It's not guided by the past. Uh, it is, in the purest of sense, pure improvisation, pure creation. Let me add to what Michael has said and give an example. If someone is involved in martial arts, then the only way to be able to survive in a martial art contest is to be in the moment. And in the moment, one is always aware that the opponent is making an aggressive gesture. And the first thing you have to do is be aware in time to block the aggression if you want to survive. If you block enough of the aggressive, aggressive uh, behavior, then you get a chance to make a definitive blow. As we kind of un uh, kind of peel back uh, uh, the layers of decisions, in uh, uh, one thing I'd like to kind of start with is de decisions, whether they're Zen or not. Uh, decisions are about change, uh, and it's about making changes, and. Uh, and so this is, uh, so part of the uh, decision thin is a general theory of change. There are changes uh, that reinforce the status quo. You can call that a first order change. Uh, uh, so first order changes are about dealing with what's familiar and known uh, and making, uh, small, uh, making small improvements. Uh, there's a second order change uh, or second order thinking. And that's where you're really changing your perspective. Uh, uh, now, in linguistics or um, other sorts of uh, disciplines, we'll call that framing or reframing. So the essence of framing is uh, 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 providing a new, more advantaged perspective for the same set of facts and evidence. So, and, and this is where uh, people get in trouble with framing, is they'll oftentimes delete uh, or or, or uh, deprecate a fact and evidence, and at that point, it's no longer about framing. It's about argument. It's about argument, uh, which is just more of the same. 
so so the second order this a second order change is is really about seeing something new something that was incipient something that was kind of hiding in plain sight but now i've got a new advantage perspective sometimes by asking a different question uh or uh just sleeping on it uh taking a break uh, i'm going to come back at, at it and take a fresh look at it so that's where a lot of uh, uh of kind of the cutting edge right now is in in decision sciences or uh decision research i'm going to posit a third uh, a third order change uh and it's paradoxical i characterize it as nothing changes but everything uh, and uh, uh, a great uh, a way I used to speak of it is it's recognition with a capital R. It is the sudden recognition of the being of human beings. It's the sudden recognition that, oh, I am more than just this bag of skin with this history. I am more than a cog in some sort of global factory. I am more than a resource to be leveraged. I am something beyond space and time. I am something beyond uh, at what people generally acknowledge as my ego or identity. And in this elevated state of, of recognition, uh, you discover that these consequential decisions are already made. There's nothing to decide. And so, the, so decisions in is about getting your uh, getting you uh, is about laddering up uh, into that state of mind uh, where I am now simply acknowledging what's already decided. I agree totally with what Michael is proposing, but I think you can put it in the context or frame of a game board. When you recognize the game board and you realize that you're playing on someone else's game board and you're disadvantaged because they will always win on their board. If you shift the board and you can recognize a pattern of the way to shift the board. So all of a sudden you've shifted the game to the game that is the game that plays to your strengths then you can take control and leadership of the situation and have a better chance of having a winning outcome or at least a mutually winning outcome. Let me give you an example of a uh, second order change that, that with just a little bit of nudge can be a third order change. So uh, uh, I'm uh, pulling this pattern uh, from a, 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 a kind of a thought partner of ours named Bill Leiter. And, um, and uh, uh, it's, what would it take? So oftentimes in business, uh, you have an objective. Uh, and a lot of the objectives uh, are uh, tough, uh, but, you know, quote unquote, attainable. However, we're in a time today uh, where the status quo incremental improvement is a going out of business strategy. You, we got to do more. Uh, and, and, that's, and the rate of change, the technology enablements, all a bunch of factors have now conspired to uh, uh, that if you're just simply in here to survive, 
you're in simply in here to kind of just get through, uh, incrementally grow your business, uh, you're probably somebody's lunch. You're probably prey. Uh, you're probably going to be on the short end of someone's stick. Okay. So uh, this leads to something uh, uh, that we kind of frame as waymaking in the age of chaos, uh, which is kind of the, the, the great theme of ours that, built, uh, that uh, Stephen and I have been working on. Uh, but uh, 10x thinking. So, uh, so for example, one question I put to a, 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 par a partner of ours was, <clears throat> with respect to your clients, what would it take for them to realize 10 times more value from, what the, from their relationship with you today? So I'll say that again. What would it take for your clients to realize 10 times more value than uh, from, the from their relationship with you today? Now, when you first ask that question, it's like you got hit with a, with a phone book. You know, it's like, whoa. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, what the heck do you mean by that? Uh, uh, so now with kind of persistent, deliberate, incisive intent, we keep asking. So we'll say, okay, what would it take? What would it take? And as we keep pressing on that, because we've they've gotten permission for them to kind of bust through, break through uh, the noise uh, and the biases that they and self-limiting beliefs. Eventually, we start whiteboarding. What would it take to realize uh, 10x more value? Well, it would take. Uh, we'd have to spend less time doing this low added value stuff here. And so, as we start kind of working, working through well. Okay, let's stipulate that it's possible and doable, but we'll have to invent or discover now what it would take. So as we start peeling back, what would it take? Working backwards from an outcome. Working back, okay, well, what would it take? And oftentimes in their mind's eye, they have to completely reinvent their status quo systems for how it is that we attract, serve, and keep profitable customers for life. What would it take process is a form of outcome-based thinking. So we're going to start with an outcome and work backwards. And working backwards from an outcome uh, like 10x, like our clients receive 10x more value from our relationship. As we do outcome-based thinking or outcome-based uh, planning, uh, first of all, outcome-based thinking is an unnatural, abnormal pattern for most people. It, it, they, they, we suck at it. Right. So I'm just saying, as human beings, we do not think in terms of outcomes. We think in terms of efforts and what we're going to have to do and how we're going to have to move around the known facts of our life to achieve something. That's great for incremental, uh, incremental thinking. Horrific, off point uh, for transformative thinking. Like, how, what would it take for our clients to receive 10x more value? So outcome-based thinking is about starting with a very concrete, vivid depiction of what 10x 
value might look like, and then working backwards from it, step by step. In the course of working through that, you discover that uh, there's, now in the business, con I'm gonna put this in the business context, that inevitably businesses get things done as a function of what we call business capability. People that know what they're doing and get it done, process, workflows, checklists, technology, configurations, technology, infrastructure, uh, and content, uh, which is there's now uh, 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 documents that explain what I'm supposed to do uh, or, doc or, or content that I use to persuade people. So this business case, so at the end of the day, when we work backwards in a business context, what would it take? Inevitably, uh, we are talking about building new or, or augmenting existing business capabilities. And that's people, process, technology, and content. In that context, the hardest part uh, of that is the people part. And the next part, not that because it's because it's like so much like water to the fish, it's ignored. It's the content. So let me share a story uh, that really brings us home. Uh, 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 I wrote a book in the late uh, in the early two thousands uh, called Firebrands: Building Brand Loyalty in the Internet Age, uh, and somehow it got into the hands of the chief marketing officer at Nokia, this fellow named Unsi, and uh, uh, so. On October 2001, a month after 9-11, I find myself in Espoo, Finland, in a little conference room with uh, uh, Ansi and his uh, uh, right-hand man, a guy named Pekka, uh, with my partner, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, and I. And Ansi uh, goes on to say, he wants to know if I'd be willing to be a speaker and uh, this global speaking thing. And I said, yes, I'd love to. Uh, and then he asked me the question, would you like to know why we chose uh, FCB, Foot Cone Building, uh, as our agency of record? Now, agency of record is, is, the, is the ad agency uh, through which 80% of the, of the measured media is spent, right? And I said, sure. And he says, the first thing, uh, the first thing uh, I told them, show me no creative. You show me, my, you show me creative, I throw you out of my office right now. That you got this far in our selection process means that you already got, uh, you have good creative. Instead, show me the systems, processes, and capabilities you have in place to manage a 500 euro, 500 million euro account. And on the basis of that, I choose. Now, in subsequent conversations with NC, I said, you know, that was uh, what, what he says, it's always the people. So it's always the people. So uh, when making consequential, consequential decisions, especially at the business level, decisions in is also about taking into consideration the people. And what does it take to make a decision uh, that is already pre-engineered for people to accept and support? Following uh, the issue of people, the really heart of 10x exponential growth value, giving value, is really the leader themselves having to themselves grow 10x in terms of their growth and development. And often a leader is pointing at others as problems rather than 
taking the problems as something to do with the way they are interrelated with their people. So unless they become more able to do what I call co-elevate with their people, that is all of their people feel supported, the leader has their back, the leader is supportive for them, and the culture is a high level of we're great culture rather than I'm great, you're not so great. Uh, the, these these tenex uh, uh, improvements become a logjam; they become stalled. So one of the things that leader has to have to start to fire their passion is a massive transformative purpose. They have to believe in what they're doing is really transformative and is really giving something to the world. Steve, let me add quickly that Please. right there that introduces uh, a factor uh, uh, or reveals that many, I won't say most, but many leaders are simply grinding out the same old, same old, you know, incremental thing. And they do not have a transformative vision. And as a function of that, uh, they simply not they simply don't have gas in the tank to inspire anybody to do anything extraordinary. So, so that's what's going on right now. There's a great reshuffling. When we talk about the great reset, the great, uh, the, the great resignation. Uh, but underneath this is the general recognition that we have the wrong friggin' leaders, that they're just suits, empty suits, uh, who are uh, grinding out uh, a, a plan uh, and crushing the souls, crushing the spirit of those people that work for them. And gosh, guess what? People are on, on this side of COVID are recognizing, fuck you. I'm not gonna work on, on, on Maggie's farm no more here. Uh, I, 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 I want more meaning. I wanna have a sense of more meaning and purpose and joy and happiness uh, in my work. Uh, and frankly, you are a agent of darkness for for that. So I'm out of here. So this is a symptom of egotism and the ego gets in the way. One of the things that Stephen and I have discovered uh, is uh, that uh, 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 in looking at this through the lens of uh, what we uh, what an HR, uh, the leading edge of HR, human resources or people ops are, are now talking is in terms of a, a whole self talent strategy. Uh, and that one of the things we're discovering in, uh, through the lens of this whole self, which how do you bring your whole self to work? Well, uh, and, and as a function of that, how do I bring my creativity, my passion, my willingness to grow and be uncomfortable? How do I bring that to my, to my work? Uh, and one of the things that this is also bringing into sharp contrast is that we've got a bunch of leaders who are not really leading, they're managing, uh, they're empty suits. Uh, and so this is set up uh, a, well, should I stay here or should I go, right? Uh, and, 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 but that's a symptom of something that happens uh, in the corner office. Uh, 
that's that's a function of uh, that. Uh, to, to Stephen's point, the leaders today must have uh, a big, if not transformative, vision uh, that infuse that infuses the organization with a sense of mission, of urgency, of and is profoundly meaningful, and that we recruit and manage to that vision. So there are what, and so as we start to think about uh, these transformative visions, all of a sudden we recognize that 30, 40% of the people that work, that work for us are not aligned and actually are now sticks in the mud, are now uh, impediments. The whole is integral or aligned. And that means that the body, the heart, the mind, and the spirit, and the relationship and the way that you relate, all are aligned with the purpose of the higher purpose of the organization, which is the massive transformative purpose. This is another way of speaking about what people call balance, uh, bringing, bringing the whole self is also having a healed self. And that has to do with a lot to do with being able to be aware of the other person and putting the other person in a position of elevating them yeah. first before expecting something from them. And, and one point, uh, uh, Stephen, because we've talked about this before, uh, uh, we have really uh, uh, attacked and, uh, and, and dismissed the notion of work-life balance. Work-life balance is, uh, arises from the presupposition that you have your personal life and that you have a work life. And there are two silos that have to compete for your energy. That's that's a false choice and it's bullshit and it's toxic. So don't do that. You have life, you have energy. And the question then is, how do I invest it? How do I use it to its best advantage? And so a whole self talent strategy, a whole self life strategy is to say, I have one life. Now, some of the sometime, sometime, uh, and as I kind of go through the, my day, some amount of my time I spend doing stuff that's work related. Sometime I do things that are are personally related. Now, another dimension of a whole life strategy that is now part of the New Deal, part of the new social contract, is to always be learning, because learning directly correlates to uh, uh, my experience of having a meaningful life. So now, part of your job. Part of your job description, part of your position agreement, if you're so lucky, is a carve out of 10% of my time on the clock is to be learning, learning something that's personally meaningful for me today for no other reason than keeping my hand in the pool of learning, which then will spill over to the rest of my life.
So as this relates to decision Zen, uh, to kind of bring it back, uh, first of all, if we look at all of the decisions that we have in life, they are all pre, they all are presupposed by what what will what will give me more joy, pleasure, or happiness. So that it, that's universal, transcendental. Uh, and and I want a new car. Well, you know, you know, or I want a new job, or I want a new boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. It's all it, it's all some combination of I want more joy, uh, sense of purpose, meaning. I want more pleasure, aliveness, uh, vitality. Uh, I want more happiness, uh, richness, depth of uh, meaningful interactions with others. Okay, so of the hundred percent of the decisions, which are all framed by what's going to give me, what's going to bring me more. Uh, joy, pleasure, and happiness. Eighty percent of them are just simply you can do them on autopilot. They're simply just the product of reflexive behavior. The twenty percent, there's twenty percent uh, that's that about which you might be more mindful. Uh, and then if we take another eighty twenty cut on that, the twenty percent of the twenty percent, or four percent of the of the of life decisions. Uh, I really kind of want to have a procedure or a ritual around how do I make the best decision for those 4% meaningful, somewhat consequential decisions. Now, if we take another 20% of that, or 0.8% of all the decisions in your life, those are pivotal. And you really wanna have uh, a, 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 well, a well-oiled system for debiasing yourself and, and removing the noise from your decision making. Now you can characterize that as uh, uh, sagacity, the ability to make clear, uh, concrete, uh, holistic, uh, integrated decisions. Then one last thing, 2% of that or 0.16%. So if you look at all the decisions in your life, the 0.16% decisions, those are bet your life decisions or bet the company decisions. And for that, uh, you want to have a cognitive crew to really work through the, uh, the upsides and downsides, multiple scenarios from really great to really bad. Uh, and one of the post, one of the things that uh, one of the most important scenarios to work through is if this turns out more, better than I imagined, if this turns out way better, if we have an outrageous success, is that not a catastrophe? In most cases, it is. So, so for those really consequential bet your life decisions, uh, 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 you really want to have a whole uh, 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 whole system and a crew, a cognitive crew, to uh, with whom you can work through those really bet your life decisions. So that's kind of the that's kind of the uh, the, the the principle uh, or our north star. Uh, with respect to decisions in. Some decisions are inconsequential, have fun. Some of them you just might want to be a little more mindful of because you'll get more joy, pleasure, and satisfaction, uh, more joy, pleasure, uh, and uh, happiness out of it. There are some decisions, as I said, uh, that are uh, are really kind of meaningful, those 4%. You really want to have some rituals and procedures to, uh, to assist you in doing that. You want to have procedures and rituals that you can generate that you don't have to depend on somebody else to make. But then those 0.8% the, the, those and those 0.16% that are really critical, existential, 
You really want to have a well-developed system uh, that will move you through all of the perspectives until finally you can get to, oh, oh, yeah. I guess it's already decided that at some level of my beingness, it's already decided. And that, the, and, and, that, and that the joy of being human is the laddering up to recognize what has always been and will always be true. Just drawing on my own personal experience, let me say that I had a life-changing, transformative decision to make when I left the academic and my pushy philosophy teaching job to become a psychoanalyst in London, England. And uh, I knew I needed to move from my head to my heart. to really answer the questions that my students really cared about, which were personal questions. I had no clue about how to deal with personal questions. And so I went to train and learn how to do that. And at first I thought I had jumped over a cliff but then it came to be that it was the only possible decision I could have made to develop myself and uh, become the person I was meant to be. So let me be reassuring to the audience here and say that Apparently, there are some statistics and research that when you do make a life irreversibly changeable, you can't reverse the decision, a life decision that's irreversible, something like 98% of the people who make them do feel that they've made the right one. So even if at first you might not believe that you'll come to feel that way. And our point on decisions in is how can we make getting to that decision uh, faster, easier, simpler, more fun. And with less drama, less angst, uh, less anxiety. And just more like, oh, I'm leaving the job. I'm getting divorced. I want to get married. I want to move to Boulder. And, and do so without a big story. Without having to do all the rational, just like, that's who I am. I am, I, I am. Or you could say, I am that I am. I am uh, uh, 
that person uh, uh, that's now living that outcome or moving towards uh, that desirable future of mine. Well, having to break, well, having all the baggage and the freight from the past about, you know, your worthiness or you know, justified or what will my mom think or you know, all that other horseshit uh, that's just noise in, uh, and distraction from just being in the moment. I'm, I'm good. All is well. May it be forever so. And that really is, if you will, uh, a summary of this decision's end. I'm good. All is well. And, and this decision that I used to think was humendous and you know horrific and consequential, it's already made. And my job is simply to show up and allow life to move through my body with gratitude and ease. And that really is the condition of Zen, of just being in the moment and knowing that I, can, I have no control over what life brings me. Life will happen. And my job is simply to show up, be present, tell the truth, which is to say, not believe my fairy tales and narratives, and allow life to move through my body. And that's a whole other talk that we might talk about in the future is what does that mean to live in a, to live in a condition of surrender and acceptance of life? As we shared at the beginning, Steve and I are working on a project of waymaking in the age of chaos and uh, working through we're kind of in the process of authoring a book under the title decisions in and if you want more information about that we don't have a book to sell you know it's still in process we intend to kind of workshop uh, some of these things and if you'd like to be kind of on the invitation list to get workshop you can follow me at uh, linkedin as well as Stephen, but in my LinkedIn uh, feeds, I have a set of feeds on Decision Zen, and they are kind of little moments. They don't take any more than about 30 seconds to read, but they all are developing and, and expanding upon uh, these ideas and uh, ways of seeing, ways of experiencing, and ways of applying Decision Zen. So my LinkedIn profile, it's Michael J. Moon. That's J-A-Y, Michael J. Moon. Let me just add that I'd be open to anyone who'd like to be a connection to just invite me to connect with them on LinkedIn. Stephen Gans, PhD. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.